Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the Great War and have around 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 9th of January 2023 and this is episode 283. On today's Dispatches podcast, I talk to art historian, curator, film producer and lecturer Libby Horner about her research into the artist Frank Branwyn. Libby spoke to me about his career and work during the Great War. Libby, welcome to the Dispatches podcast. Can you start by telling us about yourself and how you became interested in Frank Branwyn? Right, well, as you can see, I'm ancient. Um, I've lived in Saudi, the Yemen, uh, Iraq, and 16 years in Hong Kong. And when we came back to this country, I sort of thought, oh, God, what am I going to do now? And I went back to university and did art history. And I discovered Branwyn purely by chance because we went to Bruges for a holiday and something in the back of my mind said, oh, there's a museum there, which is dedicated to a chap who worked with William Morris. And so we went and saw this museum and I was just amazed because this guy could do everything, you know, from oil painting to murals to furniture and all the rest of it. Um, so I took myself back to university and, and did uh, Branwyn. And now, um, she says modestly, uh, I'm the world expert. Well, on that bombshell, I'm glad I got you here. Um, right, let's start at the very beginning. Who was Frank, Frank Branwyn? Now, I, have I got the pronunciation of his name right? And what was his Branwyn. Branwyn, okay. Yeah. Okay, so, and what was his early personal and professional life like before the Great War? Right. Um, he was actually born in Bruges in 1867. His father worked there as a designer and an architect. Um, they came back to London when Branwyn was about seven. As far as we know, he had very little schooling. He certainly didn't go to art school or anything like that. Um, and he was discovered by Arthur Haygate McMurdo uh, when he was about 14 or something, who saw him in the V&A and thought, wow, this young chap's got potential and took him along to William Morris and got him a job in Morris's workshops, uh, which Branwyn found absolutely boring because it was squaring and enlarging pictures. Uh, but that was incredibly useful later in life for the murals and everything. Um, First painting was accepted by the RA when he was about 18, which when you think about it, it's not bad when he didn't have any formal training. Um, he went on to be exhibited all over Europe, um, painted murals in Paris and Skinner's Hall in London. He was made an ARA in, that's Associate of the Royal Academy, in 1904. And by 1914, um, he was known worldwide. So for those who don't know Bramin, what type of art did he produce? Just about everything. He was a polymath. So it's murals, oils, works on paper. He was a brilliant printmaker. So etchings, lithographs, wood engravings. Um, he did stained glass, architecture, interiors, carpets, tapestries, ceramics, jewellery, book illustrations. You name it, he did it. 
So we're looking at Frank Bremen during the First World War. Now, what did he do during the First World War and what made him well known? Uh, well, he, he wasn't an official war artist. Um, I don't know if there was anything particularly that made him well known during the war, but he, he probably produced more posters than, than most of the official war artists. And what I find really is actually for charities, um, and he gave that work freely. And um, I think he felt the war greatly because he was born in Bruges and he sort of retained a sentimental attachment for Bruges all his life. Um, he was actually part of the Ministry of Information's, um, uh, what was it called? Um, ideals, Efforts and Ideals, he did those. And he also did a series called Ruins of War for the Canadian War Memorials Fund. Um, he didn't actually go out to Europe and see the war. So I think most of his pictures were really taken from paintings and, uh, well, not paintings, photographs in newspapers. And he'd also been to Taormina in Sicily in 1909 when they had a big earthquake. And when you think about it, Nowadays, we just see signs of devastation on the television the whole time. We're just bombarded with it. But to have seen something like that in 1909, when you didn't get all the newspapers and things, he must have been sort of really overcome by it. And, and I think that is reflected in a lot of the paintings of destroyed buildings that he did during the war. So was, was his art controversial at all? Ah, um, yeah, he did, did a couple of posters called Britain's Call to Arms and Arms Citizens of the Empire, which was 1914. Um, the War Office didn't like them because they said they were too honest. They were quite brutal looking. Um, Frank Pick of London Underground, he actually bought one of these posters and he was, but in fact he did because he went his own way, didn't he, Frank Pick? Um, and in fact, more people... Um, joined the army after that poster was put up than they had before. So, I mean, it was obviously quite successful, but people didn't like too much sort of brutality and stuff. I don't think Branwyn did either, but I think he just wanted to show it as he felt it. Oh, there was another poster, um, Put Strength in the Final Blow, which was 1918, although, um, I mean, it was actually produced in 1918, but I think from seeing studies and things that he probably designed it in about 1914, 1915. And that again was considered quite brutal. And the apocryphal story is that the Germans put a price on his head because of this poster, that whether they actually did is, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of myths about Brownwood. <laughs> Don't get me started. Well, tell us some of, of those myths. He's supposed to have uh, been, a, you know, in the merchant navy, everyone sort of quotes that, but, but he wasn't. And he's supposed to have gone to the Far East, but he didn't. Um, oh, I, I can't think of the others offhand now. Um, but there's, there's all sorts of myths about him. And the trouble is that, that once one of these stories has been written, it's, it's then promulgated and everybody believes it. And it's, it's taken as, you know, this, this is what, how it was. Uh, but, it, but in my research, I've actually gone back to primary sources um, and that's why I've discovered that a lot of this stuff is just twaddle. And did the nature of his art change during the Great War? 
It probably wasn't as brutal by the end of the war, except that one poster that I mentioned, as it was at the beginning, because I think he was a pacifist. I don't think he approved of the war. Um, another interesting thing is that um, he was very much a man of the people. He, he wasn't, you know, with top boys and everything. So um, in, in putting together the, the book that I did about Branwen at war, I read a lot of books that were actually written by the Tommies, the, the ordinary soldiers, rather than the officers, you know, like Sassoon and MLK and people. And, and when you look at his pictures and you read the stories that the ordinary squaddies were writing, it's just like he was illustrating their books. You know, so he obviously had tremendous empathy with just the ordinary working soldier, as he did with the ordinary working man in his pictures of industry and things like that. Did he actually produce a vast amount of material during the Great War? Huge amount of posters. Um, I can't think offhand how many, but um, probably more than most of the official war artists, yes. And they were mostly posters and lithographs. And the, like I said, were for charitable organisations. So how did he make his money during the Great War? Oh, well, I mean, he didn't just do the posters for the Great War. I mean, he'd got all sorts of other projects on hand as well. So there are murals all over the world. He was doing oil paintings. He was doing a lot of printing, um, architecture, interior design. I mean, he just worked at everything and generally on a huge, huge scale. You know, his, his etchings are sort of, you know, yay, um, not, not like little Whistler ones. I mean, he could do that as well, but he tended to work on a really big scale. So, I mean, he was working constantly. And I, th I think basically he was a bit of a workaholic. He didn't really have time for anything else, certainly not socialising. And I mean, he never went to any of his own exhibitions. He thought that was a complete waste of time. So why haven't we heard about Branwyn? <laughs> How long have you got? Um, I think... I just said that he was polymath. He was too diverse. Um, critics like artists to be pigeonholed. And you, you couldn't pigeonhole Brownwin because he did so much and he probably produced too much. Um, he wasn't part of any specific art group. So, for example, you read something about the St. Ives group and it'll mention all the people. But he wasn't part of that group or any other particular group, like Stades Group or whatever else. So you don't come across his name. Um, he was just a one-off, basically. And he was like a jackdaw of art. He used to look at other people's art and then just sort of take the best and brightest bits. Um, he produced too much. Um, he wasn't collegiate or clubbable. He preferred the company of his gardener to wealthy patrons. So he wasn't promoting himself amongst those kind of people. And then, of course, in 1914, yes, it was 1914, wasn't it? Um, Wyndham Lewis blasted him, which I didn't, don't think helped, you know, in his magazine blast. So tell us about the, the blasting of Branwyn in the said magazine. I, yeah, yeah, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he uh, listed people that he would sort of get rid of I mean, I think it included the Archbishop of Canterbury and the post office and, and Branwyn. So, you know, he just went a bit over the top about it. <laughs> but he obviously didn't like Branwyn. Mind you, Wyndham Lewis was a bit of a weird character as well. And finally, where can people <laughs> learn more about your work? 
Uh, well, there's my website, which is frankbranwin.org, uh, which really needs modernizing, but I just haven't got the time at the moment to do it. Um, but there's also books. There's um, this one, which we did with the Fine Arts Society back in 1914. <laughs> Sorry, 2014, uh, 2014, 2015, um, which is out of print, but I'm sure you can get it online. And um, there's a book about Frank Brownwin's stained glass, which is also out of print, but I'm sure you can find it. You know, eight books, all these things. And of course, there's Brownwin at War, which is um, sold through the Goldmark Gallery in Uppingham. Um, there's a book about Christ Hospital murals. Uh, Christ Hospital is a school down in Sussex, yeah, um, and they've got a whole, uh, their chapel is decorated with his murals, so I wrote a book about that. There's a, there's a right, um, I said that Branwyn did a lot of ceramics, this is a book about his pots, as I call it, there's, I've got loads of those, <laughs> he wants to buy one, and he also did glass as well. Um, and there was another book which we produced in... Um, 2006 for a big exhibition we did in Leeds, Bruges and Swansea. And can I find a copy of it anywhere? No, I think I think I left it in my partner's house. Um, but that is called Frank Brownwin, 1867 to 1956. It's got a picture of his buccaneers on the front. Um, it's out of print, but you can easily get it, you know, secondhand online somewhere. And that's an excellent book. It's got essays by Tim Wilcox and um, Gillian Naylor, me, Corin Miller, um, oh, Powers, Alan Powers, various other people. It's very good. Livy, thank you very much for your time. Pleasure. It's been fun. <laughs> You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Krish Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time. <laughs>